your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark chapter 1, and our core kids are dismissed to their classes now. So if you're a child up to sixth grade, you are, you have a class. So. <laughs> the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1 and verse 14. When you got it, say so. And it says, now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he, was wa- and as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw John, the son of Zebedee, and James, his brother, who were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Then they went out, and then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have you to do? What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the, and when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out. Then, they were, all, then they, they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Lord, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. And we thank you because you are great and greatly to be praised. And we humble ourselves before you. We ask you this morning, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would open our ears, that you would soften our hearts, that you would connect your word with faith in our hearts, that we may be respondents who obey your truth, Lord God. Glorify yourself in this time that we have together. We pray this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, just hold your hand up and the ushers will get you an outline. As always, it's important to me that you do have an outline so that way you can take some notes. You can follow along in, our, in the beginning of the sermon. You can answer some questions there. And you can also utilize this as a tool to help someone else grow in their faith, right? Because we're supposed to be maker, making disciples. So that's important for us. Also, if you are following along in our Bible reading challenge, today is the 239th day of the year, and we are in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23 through 26, and so I hope that you are following along in this challenge. If not, it's never too late to jump in and start reading the scriptures. We're reading four chapters a day, and so it's been very encouraging to me, and I hope if you're following along, it has been so to you. And so in your outline there, first paragraph, we are in our series, before you read that, we're in our series, Jesus Impact, and we talked and we started this last week and we're talking about the impact that Jesus had on his culture and not just his impact for the sake
sake of that, but it's also for, we, for us to recognize that the same way that Jesus impacted his culture, so we are called to make an impact upon our culture. We're not Jesus in any way, shape, or form, but Christ dwells in us. His spirit lives in us, and God's word is alive and active in and through our lives, and if we will trust him, then we'll be able to be used by him. And so today, in your first paragraph there, as we continue in our series in the gospel of Mark, Jesus' impact, it is important that we realize the goal in this series is to come to know Jesus better, not simply know more facts about Jesus. Please know that. I'm not, we're not walking through the gospel of Mark so we can check it off our you know, book of, or, or check it off the list of books that I preach through just so you can have more knowledge of Jesus. That's not the goal of this sermon series. The, the goal of this series is so you can know him better. That as we look at the scriptures, you can know who Jesus is so you can come to have a greater understanding of who your Savior is and in that you'll grow in your relationship with him because it's pointless just to read the scriptures or to hear the scriptures preached or taught and for you not to grow grow in the knowledge of who your God is. And so I want that to be the thing that we're trying to do. And so my prayer, second part of this paragraph, is that we all, that as we look at the scriptures, we will come away with an even greater understanding, appreciation, and awe of of who Jesus is, which should lead us into a deeper life of worship that results in a greater level of gospel impact upon our culture. And so I want what I'm praying and I'm, I'm hoping will happen is as we look at who Jesus is, that it will take us to a deeper place of worship. You know, a good example, this morning as we were in worship here just a few moments ago, and we were singing that song, and we continued to repeat that part, you have no rival, you have no equal, now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory, yours is the name above all names. What we're doing is, in that moment, as we're repeating that, and for some of us, like, why do we gotta keep repeating the same thing over and over again? Well, the hope is, as we're repeating those words, something is awakening inside of us of who it is that we're singing to. And even though you may know who it is, and even though you may have a grasp of the one that we're worshiping, as as those words come out of your mouth, as they begin to resonate in your heart, they should do something, and that is to stir an awe of who your God is. It is to stir a reverence and like, wow, this is the God that we serve, that death couldn't hold him down, that the grave couldn't hold him down that there is nothing that rivals him. And that way when you're living in your life wherever you are, that nothing that you face is a rival to the Savior you're submitted to. That nothing that you're going through can rival the king who is seated on the throne. And so what happens is that creates a deeper sense of worship. It creates a deeper place where we worship this king and we glorify him. And then what happens is out of that worship, we begin to do what? We begin to live a life that brings him glory because that's a continuation of our worship. Our worship, now hear me, shouldn't stop with the songs we sing, but it should be a continuation throughout the life that we live. And as we live for his glory, worshiping him because of who he is, then we'll make that impact upon our culture. And so here's the second paragraph there. This morning we will, look at, we will be looking at Jesus as a different kind of leader. What, we, what we're going to look at today is the, when Jesus starts his ministry, we're going to notice the type of leader that he is. And so for all of us, I mean everybody in here, 
Um, typically, uh, outside of scriptures, we all have leaders or at least personalities that we have looked up to, be they personal influences like parents, coaches, teachers, or peers, um, impersonal influences like entertainers, historical figures, preachers, or athletes, or fictional influences like characters in movies, characters in novels, or superheroes, right? And so all of us have people that we look up to, do we not? Just saying, like, like all of us have someone, I mean, when you, you know, when I was a kid, you know, there were, there, there were certain people, you know, I was, I, I, I want to be like LL Cool J, that's what I wanted to be like. You know, LL Cool J was pretty yoked, you know what I'm saying, and I, he still is, you know, if you just watch CSI or whatever, and I thought, you know, he's a decent looking dude, I was like, yeah, I want to be like him, hello. I do. The Lord was like, yes, you're going to be just like him, but, but here, you know. But, but, but the, the point is, I looked up to him for, you know, different things. I looked up to him, you know. I, I, there's different people, you know, coaching. You know, I, I look at coaches and stuff like that. You know, and I, I, I liked, you know, um, watching basketball. I liked Phil Jackson, you know. I wasn't, I wasn't too much in the Zen stuff, you know, and all that kind of, you know, jazz there. But, but, but I liked his coaching style. He, he was able to get the most out of his team. He was able, you know, what I loved about Phil Jackson is that he would, like, sit there. He was the calm, he's, he's like the calmest coach ever. He would just sit on the sideline. It was like people just knew, like, what he, he, was, he was amazing. Right, like that, that. I'm like, man, I want to be that kind of leader. Like, I don't even got to move, and people are just doing their thing, right? Like that's, you know. And then, you know, I have, I have another one. He's 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 probably one of my favorites. You know, one of my pastor friends. He posted on Facebook. He said, you know, God is like Mr. Miyagi. Y'all know Mr. Miyagi. And he's like, whatever you're doing in your life, you're not just doing that. God's developing something in you, right? And so, like, wax on, wax off. You know, Daniel's son, he's like, man, I thought you were teaching me karate. You got me being a slave over here. He's like, Daniel's son, I'm not going to do the scene for you. But anyway, I'm a karate kid guy, you know. He's like, wax on, wax off, you know. You know, paint the fence and, you know, all that. And so, anyway, he was teaching him something, right? He was developing him. And I love Mr. Miyagi. You know, he was, he, was, he was that kind of person as a leader. But here's what I want you to get. No matter if it's a personal uh, someone in your life or someone impersonal or someone that's a fictitious person, there is no leader like Jesus. Jesus is a different kind of leader. And so last paragraph there, at any rate, in getting to know Jesus, we must recognize that he is a leader like no other. Are you here? In getting to know him, we have to recognize that. And, and, and I want to say this not because that is what we have to believe. Hello, somebody. Like, you know, the, the joke is, you know, where, you know, you're in church, you're in Sunday school, right? And the teacher's like, so what's brown and small, has four legs, fluffy tail with some stripes in it? And everybody says, there you go. Three people got the answer right. Because the answer to every question in church is, Right? But the reality is, he's talking about a squirrel. Hello, somebody. You know? The little kid in the class, like, that's a squirrel. No, Jesus, right? But the, the thing is that for us as Christians, it's like the, the go-to answer should be, right, Jesus. Like, we run to him. But here's what I want you to understand. Jesus doesn't just want to be the go-to answer that comes out of your lips. He wants to be the go-to answer that comes from your heart. He wants, to, he wants to dominate your heart by his love, by his grace, by his mercy. He wants, to, he wants to so overwhelm your life that he really is the center of everything. And, and when we're looking at the type of leader that Jesus was, this has to be something that is genuinely in our hearts when we compare his type of leadership to others. And so here's the big idea that I have for you this morning, and it is this. Following Jesus' leadership will cause us to impact those around us. Following Jesus' leadership will cause us to impact those around us. 
That's, if there's anything, if you don't get anything else out of this message this morning, let that be the thing that you take home. If you follow the type of leadership that Jesus demonstrates, inevitably you will impact those around you. You will be making an impact for his name's sake, for his glory's sake. And so that's what, I, that, that's what my prayer is, is that we'll follow his type of leadership. And what I want to say about that as we think about leadership is whenever we think of leadership, typically, immediately we think about people who are in leadership roles. Like, you know, Bishop is a leader. You know, this one is a leader of a company. But I want you to know something. You don't have to be the person in the front of the line or the top of the org chart in order to be a leader. Are you here? You don't, you don't have to be the person who everybody reports to in order for you to be a leader that is making an impact in the lives of those that you are around. You need to be a leader. You need to be someone who stands upon the truth of Scripture wherever you are, who leads the way that God has called you to lead, and be a leader right where you are so that way you can make an impact, and these things are some ways that we can lead. And so the first thing that I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, Jesus begins his ministry with a message of power. Jesus begins his ministry with a message of power. And so the first thing that we see about Jesus' leadership is that leaders have a message. Are you here? They have something to say. There is a message that is within their heart. And Jesus starts out his ministry with this message. Look at verses 14 and 15. Look what it says. It says, now after John was put in prison, and so John the Baptist, who we read about in the first parts of this chapter, he begins, he, um, he, he gets incarcerated because he had a message. His message was prophetic, and prophetic people usually called out sin. And so John the Baptist was calling people out who were in sin, and he called out the wrong people. And when he did that, he ended up being incarcerated for that and ultimately beheaded. But here's what happens is, immediately after that happens there, something occurs. Jesus came to Galilee, and he began preaching the gospel of the kingdom, saying, think positive, and everything's going to be good. Was that the message? Just focus on positive stuff, and positive stuff is coming your way. Was that the message? He, 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 he began to preach a message, the gospel of the kingdom. Hey, man, just don't talk about the negative stuff, and everything's going to be good. Was that the message? Was, this was the message. And the reason why I want to point this out is because the message that Jesus was preaching then is the same message that we are required to preach today. The same way that that message was needed in the days that Jesus walked this earth, that John the Baptist was here, the same message that they preach is the same message that we should be preaching. And the message is this. He says it like this. He says, the time is fulfilled. And I want you to notice, if you look, look at verse 12, just look up really quickly. Verse 12 says what? You see that word, the, the, the word there in the New King James Version, it says immediately. Say immediately. And then I want you to look at verse 18, and look what it says there. In the King James Version, again, it says, then, then it says, immediately, say immediately. immediately. And look at verse 20, it says, and immediately, say immediately. immediately. And so he's doing some things, and then look at verse 28, it says, and immediately, say immediately. immediately. And so what, my point is, I want to hear you say immediately a hundred times. Let's look at one more time. Look at verse 21, look what it says. It says, then they went into Capernaum, and immediately, say immediately. And so what I want you to realize is that in the message of Jesus, that, that connects with the life of Jesus, there is an urgency that is there. There is, and what Mark is doing is he is trying to help us to see the urgency that is there in the life of Christ and the things that he's doing. And he continues to say this word immediately, immediately, immediately. All of these things are happening. And when Jesus comes out and he says, the time is at hand, there is urgency in the message. And what I want you to realize is that Jesus' message was three points in power, not three points in a poem. Hello. 
See, in, in, in the days that you go to, you know, Bible college and seminary and you learn to put sermons together, you know what they talk about. And listen, I do a lot of stuff because I want to be the best communicator that I can be. And, and, and what happens is you learn, you, you know, the, the way that you connect people is you tell stories and you do this. And Jesus did all of those things. But what I want you to realize that you'll notice here is that his message was a message that it was filled with points, but it was filled with power. It wasn't just stories for stories' sake. It wasn't just things. Jesus wasn't just trying to make you remember his sermons. He was trying to make sure you were changed by his sermons. He was communicating so you could live a life that was different. And so the first thing he says is he says the time is at hand. The time is fulfilled. And so there's urgency in the message. And then he says, and the kingdom of God is at hand. So what does that mean there? So the first thing, the time is fulfilled. That word there is not chronos. There's two words for time in the Greek. One of them is chronos. The other one is kairos. And the word chronos means chronological time, like 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, whatever. That's chronological time. That's time that's going to continue to happen 24 hours a day, minutes seconds, hours, all that's going to occur. That's chronos. But there is a kairos time. There is a time that is called an appointed time. And what he's communicating is he's saying the appointed time has arrived. The urgency of the hour is now and it's here. And then he goes on to say the next thing. He said, and the kingdom of God is at hand. And so what is he saying there? He's saying the king is on the scene and his reign and rule has arrived and will continue to grow in influence and impact. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then the last thing that he says what? Is he says, repent and believe the gospel. So what do we see in Jesus' message? Well, first of all, Jesus' message was clear. The time is at hand. It was clear, right? He was letting you know that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The hearers understood what he was talking about. The kingdom. They've been waiting for this kingdom. And then he tells him to do what? He says to repent and believe the gospel. And so his message was clear. His message was confrontational. Say confrontational. His message wasn't candy coated. His message wasn't just trying to make you feel good. But he was letting you know what? That you needed to repent. And so his message was actionable. He gave you something that you were supposed to do. When you heard the gospel, you were to respond to it. When you were confronted with your sin, you were to respond to it. And then it's what? It's a message that is full of hope. So it's a message that is clear. It's a message that is confrontational. It's a message, a message that is actionable, and it is a message that is filled with hope. And so here's the thing. What I want you to realize is that our message has to be clear. Say clear. The message we've been entrusted with has to be clear. The gospel message has to be clear. Say gospel. And gospel means good news. That's what it is. And so our message has to be good news. But can I tell you something? Sometimes good news is not good until you know why it's so good. Hello. Right? Sometimes when you hear news, like, like, like for example, if somebody were to come to you and tell you, hey man, I have the cure for some disease that you've never heard of and you don't have, then guess what? That's good news, but it ain't that good unless you have that disease. But when you, when you find out, if you found out that you had cancer and somebody came and said, hey man, I have the pill that is the, that, that is the solution for this, guess what? That bad news that you heard made that good news great. And the, and, and the same thing goes with the gospel. You see, if I come and tell you Jesus died for your sins and we just move on from there, guess what happens? You're not really impacted by that. 
But when you understand that we are all born into sin, see, this is the clarity of the message. When you understand that we are all born into sin, that we all sin against God in our thoughts and our words and our actions, that we rebel against him, that we don't do everything he tells us to do, and that we do things that he tells us not to do. When we recognize that, and then when we realize that those sins separate us from God, and then when we realize that no matter what we do, we can never earn a right standing with God. In other words, your sins separate you from God because that's the nature that you have. And there's a problem. When you are separated from God, there is one destination that you have, and that is an eternity in hell. Are you here? Now listen, that's not very popular, but we need to be clear on that. That if you die without putting your faith in Jesus, without repenting of your sins, guess what? You spend an eternity separated from Christ. And that eternity is not like on a boat somewhere. I'm just separated from Jesus over here. You know, I didn't get to go into the pearly gates, but I'm hanging out on a lake. No. It is a lake, but it's not that kind of lake. It's the lake of fire is where it is. And, 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 and see, this is the clarity of the message. Nobody wants to hear that stuff. But here's the beauty of this. Is that because you and I couldn't do anything to appease God, you know what God does? He comes and dies in our place. Jesus dies in our place so that way we can be reconciled to God. So we can be brought into a relationship with God. So we can know God. Now listen, I want you to understand something. There has to be some urgency when you share this. You can't just be like, yeah, man, you know, we're born into sin. You know, we're all separated from God and you're going to go to hell and you know, whatever. Listen to me. The time is at hand. There needs to be urgency within our hearts when we're sharing this message. And the beauty of it is, is that if we put our faith in what Jesus did, and we put our faith in who Jesus is, then the good news, the hope is what? I'm not going to be separated from God for all of eternity. I'm going to spend eternity with him. The beauty of it is I don't have to wait for eternity to experience God, but I can know him now. I can walk in a relationship with him. The beauty of this is, is that when I put my faith in Jesus, no longer am I his enemy, but now I'm his friend. That's a beautiful thing. I have a new identity. I'm a new creation. Those are the beauty of the gospel. And that's the message that we carry. And, and you know what the apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse 16? He said this. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power. Say the power. It is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Let me point out something out. He didn't say for all who hear. He said all who believe. And what you and I need to do is we need to be faithful proclaiming that message because that message is where the power is for salvation. But people have to believe. You know, the other day on Thursday I went and I, and I, I um, for some of you know I Uber. And on Thursday morning we have a prayer meeting from 5 to 6 with pastors in Oviedo. And so I never do this, but last Thursday I was like, you know, I got some time. So I'm just going to turn my Uber on. So I turned it on to see if anybody wanted to go anywhere. I really didn't think anybody was going to be going anywhere at 6 a.m. As soon as I turned it on, bling. I was like, okay, I guess they got somewhere to go. So I picked up a lady. I took her. She, she was going to the YMCA, getting healthy, amen. Um, so, you know, that was it. As I'm pulling out of the YMCA, it goes off again. So when it goes off the second time, I go to pick up, and I see, you know, pick up Pierre. And I'm like, okay. So I'm going to pick up Pierre. So I go to pick up Pierre. I get to, I get to the destination. I'm sitting there. As I'm sitting there, I see a guy come walking out, you know, and he gets in the car. It smells like alcohol and all that. And, you know, this is not like the first time that happened. He, he gets in the car. He immediately says, man, I'm effed up. And I was like, okay. So he says, so what's got you out here at this time of the morning, you know, picking people up? And I said, well, I just left the prayer meeting. 
And he was like, really? And I'm like, yeah. And he said, well, what, 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 what are you praying for? And I said, well, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm a pastor in Oviedo. And I said, and so we were praying for Oviedo. And he's like, you're just praying for Oviedo? And I said, no, 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 you know, we're praying for the nation. You know, we're praying for everyone. I was praying for you. Um, you know, so, you know, so. And, um, and he's like, okay. And he's like, so, you know, what made you believe all that? And so I'm taking him to Winter Park, so I have some time to tell him. So I start to share my story with him. So I explain to him how I got saved and stuff like that. And he's like, wow, man. He said, that's, that's, that's really, you know, that's cool. And I was like, yeah. And I said, so what do you believe? He's like, well, he's like, you know, I don't know if you drink beer. He said, but, like, for me to really get into this, you know, I'd really have to, you know, we'd have to sit down and have a beer or have a meal, and that way I could really explain to you. And I was like, Okay. And he's like, you know, because I used to be just like you. He's like, you know, I gave my life to Jesus, you know, at some point, you know, when I was a kid. And he said, I was just like you. And he says, but, you know, now my mind is more open. <laughs> yeah? Okay. <laughs> I thought my mind was pretty open before I came to Jesus. But anyway, um, you know, I was open to a lot of drugs and things like that. But nonetheless... Um, so I'm like, okay. So, you know, we're driving, you know, we're, we're having this conversation. And so he starts talking. I said, well, what, I said, well, what do you believe? I'm like, what, what do you believe? And he's like, you know, he's like, well, you know, I believe in source. That's God, by the way. And I'm like, okay. And I said, well, I'm like, well, praise God. At least you believe in God. We can build on that, right? Like, you got, listen, whenever you're talking to someone about Jesus, they may sound crazy. Find where you can build from. Like, find where, like, that, that's the spot. Hey, we believe in God. Well, you believe in some crazy thing. But here's the thing. You believe in some kind of creator. And so we had this whole conversation. His biggest thing was, his biggest hang-up was this. It was that, do you believe that God sends people to hell? He's like, come on, Jason, you got to tell me. Like, do you believe? Because what I ended up doing when I get to his place of destination, I said, you know, well, let's keep having this conversation. He, and I'm like, let me turn this thing off. And he's like, no, I don't want to take money from you. I'm like, look, bro, this is a much more important conversation than whatever money I was going to make. So I get out of the car. We start having a conversation. And we're talking, you know, we're going back and forth. And he's dropping his knowledge on me. Hey, man. Um, and we're having this conversation, but his biggest thing is, I mean, he had to hang up, you know, he had the whole old earth, new earth, you know, thing. That's another argument we'll talk about another day. I only got six minutes, so I got to hurry up. But, um, you know, <laughs> so, you know, nonetheless, you know, we're having that conversation, but his big thing was hell. And he's like, okay, Jace, just tell me, do you believe that God really sends people to hell? And I said, no, I believe that people choose hell. I don't think God is sitting up on a throne saying, hey, duck, duck, damn, duck, duck, damn, you're going to hell, you're going to, no, no, no. God is on a throne for sure, and he will sentence you to hell. But the reason is because you rebel against him and you reject the only solution, which is the greatest evidence and expression of God's love. And so he sat there and he was like, yeah, and I said, look, man, I got to go pick up my daughter. I said, but I'd love to have more conversation with you. I left in my card and my number, and I hope he calls. You make sure you pray for Pierre. Here's the reason why I tell you this story. Because that wasn't a story that you would call successful. As a matter of fact, I felt pretty discouraged when I was there. I felt very inadequate in the conversation. Like I was like not smart enough. Like I didn't have enough of the right answers. I was there and I was struggling. I was like, man, I, you know, I'm a bishop was like, I don't know all the answers. Hello. I don't know all the answers. And it was funny because the next day I'm telling Alexis, I'm like, hey, you know, I said, so this is what happened. I start explaining to her some of the things that I was talking about. And she was like, wow, dad, you're pretty good. And I'm like, man, am I? You know why I felt like I was failing? Because he wasn't responding like I wanted him to. Because he wasn't like, yes, I feel convicted. I need to repent. I need to go to church. He didn't, at the end of the conversation, he didn't bow and say, oh, man, I heard the gospel and, and I'm ready to repent. He didn't do all that. So I'm like, man, I'm terrible. Listen, the power is in the gospel, not in me. It's not, I don't convert people. You don't convert people. I share that because, listen, you and I just need to be faithful with the message. 
We have to know we have that same message. And, and here's the thing, and this is the scariest part. I told you his name is Pierre. Make sure you pray for him because this is the truth. The truth is we spent 30 minutes of conversation, and I pleaded with him the best way that I could, and I let him know the things that I, that, that, that I just shared with you. And, and, and this is the sad part is that if Pierre dies right now, he dies separated from God because he doesn't have faith in Jesus. So that means he spends eternity in hell burning because he doesn't want to believe that, that, that God would be, would be so, so that way, you know, so hateful or whatever to send people to hell. The truth is that he will spend that eternity. So my prayer is that the seed of the gospel that was sown into his life or the watering of the gospel because the seed was already there. He said he accepted Jesus as a kid. You know, he said he grew up in church and stuff like that. And so the reality is that we need to be faithful with this message. We need to be faithful. We need to be clear with the message of the gospel and make sure that, hey, man, every opportunity we have, there, there has to be that urgency inside of us. You see, because we're all concerned. I have three minutes right now, literally. Um, we are, we are concerned overly by all kind of stuff in our lives. You know, if we're young, you know, young, young, young adults in here, you know, you're concerned about what college you're going to go to, what degree you're going to get. You know, if you're a little bit older, you know, you might be thinking about retirement. You may be thinking about your vacation next summer or this winter or whatever the case is. You know, you're thinking about retirement and all this kind of stuff. And here's the thing. All of those things are good, but let me ask you a question. Is there an urgency about the gospel inside of your heart towards those who don't know Jesus? Are you concerned about those, you know, that person that's helping you with your retirement stuff or, you know, that person that's, you know, bringing you into school trying to show you some things? Are you concerned about their eternity? Hello? Are you concerned about where they're going to spend their eternity? Because we have a message that's going to change their life. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is say, Jesus calls disciples with an invitation of power. He calls his disciples with an invitation of power. And what I want you to notice here, and we'll, we, and, and we'll look at this, verse 16, let's read it. And he says, and he, and as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Then immediately, they immediately left their nets and followed him. Again, they sensed the urgency of the call. And I want to point out, this call is not a call to salvation. This is not a salvific example. What I mean is, this is not Jesus calling them to come to faith in him. This is Jesus calling them on to mission with him. Are you here? This is, there's a, this is a different calling. There is a calling out of darkness into faith in Christ. That's the first part of the message. But when he calls these guys, and then he calls the next one, you know, the sons of Zebedee, and I won't read that there, but he calls them, what does he do? He tells them to come. They follow him. They immediately left their nets, left their dad, and went to follow Jesus. I want you to notice two things. First of all, the urgency that was there in this message struck the hearts of these men. These men began to follow Jesus. And listen, married men that are in this place, I don't know how many of you, you know, if Jesus called you right now, you don't have to raise your hand. And Jesus said, listen, I want you to leave your day job. And I want you to follow me now. Your wife probably wouldn't be down with that. I'm just saying, not because she's not spiritual, just because she's a realistic person. And she's like, okay, you're leaving your job. Hello, um, we got bills, glory to God, right? Like, we, we need to work, we need to figure something. And if you got some savings, she'll be cool for like a month, right? 
The point that I'm making is these guys left everything. They left every single thing to follow Jesus. When, when, when the, the, son, the sons of Zebedee left, you understand what they were leaving? They were leaving their inheritance. They were like, hey, you know, we're going to get this business from dad. We're not getting this. We're following Jesus because we're going to be provided for in that. That's the type of call that Jesus did. The second thing I want you to realize is the, is the way that Jesus called them. Jesus wasn't a typical rabbi. In those days, rabbis did not go and go after disciples. Rabbis waited for disciples to come. It's kind of like the church of today. Hello. I know this is about to hurt. I only got 26 seconds, so it's okay. But the church of today, we're, we're, we're trying to create everything so amazing so people come to us. That's not the way this is supposed to work. We're supposed to go to them, right? As we go, we're supposed to bring people to faith in Jesus. And so we're, we act like those rabbis. But anyway, here's the thing. Jesus was different. He did what? He picked, he chose, he went after the ones that he wanted to be the ones to carry on the mission that he was in. And I want you to get this, that God calls us in the gospel. He calls us into relationship with himself, but he also calls, calls us onto mission with him. Are you here? That's what he was doing here. The second part of the mission and the third point, I won't have time to get into this, but say this with me. Say, Jesus ministers, Jesus ministers. to the hurting with a demonstration of power. Jesus ministers to the hurting with a demonstration of power. Let's read this and then we'll close. Verse 21, it says, Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. So pause for a moment. Jesus is teaching in a way that these people have never heard before. Jesus actually believes what he's saying. Jesus has a certain authority that is coming through him. And then notice what happens in verse 23. He says, now there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. He was demon-possessed. Yes, this really happens. And he, the man, cried out, saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you? Jesus of Nazareth, did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out of him. This authority that Jesus had, it came because of his relationship with the Father. The same thing with us. The gospel message that he was proclaiming and he was declaring was a message that had power to deliver. Here's what we have to understand is that the same message that he had, we have. The same power that dwelt in him. You can write this verse down. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. It says what? It says that Jesus was anointed with the power and the Holy Spirit to go around doing good. This was him doing good here. That's what he was doing. And so we continue to read the narrative. It says what? It says, and when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately, his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. And so listen, here's what, here, here's what I want you guys to see, is that when we look at what Jesus did here, he was, the, the word there for authority is the word exousia, right? There's a, there's a bunch of words for power, authority, but the word here is the word exousia. It means he had authority over whatever that situation was. And we're going to see next week when we look at sickness. But in this particular case, he's having authority over bondage. Are you here? And what I want you, to, want you to grasp is that we are living in a day where people need deliverance. I was sharing with my mom and we, she, we were talking, she was telling me about my, one of my brother's friends 
a young, a young guy, I'm not sure you know, how old he is, you know, a little bit younger than me, and the guy was married, and he just, or he was, you know, just was, uh, was, got divorced and stuff, has kids, felt worthless, and the guy hung himself. Young kid hung himself in his girlfriend's backyard. And they found him, you know, and, and it's like, man, what, what was going on? And I was in my class with, you know, with, with the new believers on Wednesday, and I was, we were talking about that, and there was another friend that they had, and this person, you know, they, they found him, another young guy, and they found this guy dead. And so what I'm saying is these relationships are literally one relationship away from who you are. It's me, right, my brother, and then his friend. And what I want, I want you to get is that there is a desperate need for deliverance, and God has put that power inside of us. You see, let me tell you what was the worst thing for me. My mom and I were talking later on about this story, and she told me that this young man that, that hung himself in the backyard, she said that she found out that he had recently committed his life to Christ and got baptized, and so my immediate question was, where is the church in this kid's life? And can I say something to you? I'm going to say it whether you say yes or no, but the church is so comfortable that we have people that are around us that are hurting, that are potentially on the brink of stuff like that. And because we're so consumed with our life and so consumed in our comfort and so we're not committed to the making of disciples like we ought to be, that we're not walking in relationship and commitment the way that we need to be in the lives of those around us. So whether it's someone who doesn't know Jesus or someone who just recently gave his life to Jesus, there is bondage that is there. And listen, I need you to know this. The God we serve dwells in us. The power of his spirit dwells in us. The message of the gospel is still powerful today if we will simply walk by faith and communicate this truth. Well, we got to be people that believe that. And so that's the type of leadership that Jesus has. And so my prayer is that we realize that God equips those that he calls. And I want you to know if you're sitting here today, I believe this with all of my heart. God is calling you today because it's an immediate thing. He's not calling you to wait for tomorrow. There needs to be urgency in your heart. If you don't know Christ, he's calling you to put your faith in him. If you are his child and you are not committed to the great commission, which is making disciples and being involved and bringing people out of bondage and helping people grow in faith, if you are not part of that, today he's calling you immediately to rise up and to be a voice, to be a vessel that is used by him to bring deliverance. Today, not tomorrow, not next week, not let me go home and pray about it. We don't need to pray about this. This is a call from God for us to be committed to this great commission, to do what God has called us to do, because we have to realize that God equips those he calls and walks with those he equips to, to fulfill the purpose for which he's called them. Listen, he's called us to make disciples. He's given us the equipment. The question is, are you committed to being the type of leader that Jesus was? So I'll stand to our feet and bow our heads. Every eye closed and every head bowed. I just want to make this really simple. If you're in this place and you know that God is calling you, he's calling you. He's, you know that he's calling you. You're not, you're not living as a disciple maker as he's called you. You're not, you're not committed to helping others grow in their faith as you should be. You're not walking that out. If you, if you know that and you say, God, I hear your call and I want to respond to you today. If that's you, I just want you to lift up your hands so I can pray for you. I see the hands. I see the hands. Hey, man, you can put those hands down. And I just want to ask this as well. If you're in here in this place and you do not know Jesus, you haven't made a commitment to Christ, and you know that 
God is calling you as well. You say, God, I want to walk with you. If you're in this place and you say that today, that you want to make commitment to Christ, I just want you to lift up your hand before the Lord so I can pray for you. Amen, amen. Let's pray together. Father God, I come to you right now, and I pray, Heavenly Father, for every hand that was lifted in this place today. God, I pray for every heart that you touched in a special way. I pray for those hands that may have not been lifted, but God, there is a call on them, and you have called us to be involved, engaged in the making of disciples, in the being vessels of deliverance. God, fill us with your spirit. Lord, as we're, as we're in this series of this gospel impact, Lord, fill us with your spirit. Father, use us, God. Father, everything that we do matters, Lord God. Everything that we do is part of us making disciples and making an impact for your glory. Let us see, Lord God, our lives as that filled with purpose, Lord, to bring you glory and to bring you honor. Lord, remove distractions, remove barriers, remove fears, remove doubts. Father, may your name be lifted up inside of us. Lord, we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. and you may, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Come on and give God a hand of praise.